0: On the Healthy Human Revolution podcast, Dr. Lori Marvis interviews nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests whose informative and inspiring stories will empower you with the knowledge to transform your life and health.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and I'm so excited to welcome Rodney Habib and Dr. Karen Becker. How are you guys today?
0: We, doing great. we are doing very well and very excited to be on your podcast.
1: Well, I am thrilled to have you because honestly, this is gonna be, it's my first kind of show regarding animal health. And so many of my listeners are gonna be so touched by this and very, very interested in the expertise and all the information you have to offer. And so this kind of revolves around the new book launch is coming in October. Well, it will be October time this era showed and that's the forever dog. And maybe you guys can give us a little brief synopsis of how this even came to be.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, Ron and I met several years ago when his dog was diagnosed with cancer and he's in Canada and I'm in the United States, but he reached out to me asking for some help. He had had the tumor removed and his dog did not have a good prognosis. And he said, listen, I'm just reaching out to see if there's anything else that I should be doing that I'm not. And at the same time, we both were introduced to the ketogenic diet, a high fat, low protein, low to no carb diet. And so that was the beginning of us meeting each other and also learning about different modalities for for cancer treatment. So that was five years ago, we produced the Dog Cancer Series together. And then we met some of the most amazing scientists out of the Dog Cancer Series, amazing researchers that were doing longevity research on dogs and helping dogs live longer, better lives, using that model to be translationally up, up, up the up the pyramid to be able to help humans, but we, you mm-hmm. you became obsessed with the scientists' research pertaining to dogs, and out of that, yeah,
0: came the crazy. forever dog book.
1: <laughs> awesome! So now the forever dog book has three different sections, so to speak, and maybe we could highlight, kind of, just kind of tell us briefly how that means. You know, when you mentioned human health and dog health, how do these two things kind of come together in the modern world?
0: Yeah, I'll let you take that one again.
2: Well. What we found is that Rodney is obsessed with old dogs. In fact, he has the largest social media page for pet health in the world. And so a lot of people who love their animals have contacted him and say, listen, I have a a 30-year-old dog. I have a 28-year-old dog. So he started several years ago interviewing these owners of the oldest dogs in the world. And it was fascinating because out of the information that he gleaned, we were able to then contact the top longevity scientists and say, listen, you are doing this amazing research on why animals are living so long or what we can do to help them live longer. And Rodney's talking to the owners of the oldest dogs in the world let's put this information together and that's ultimately how forever dog came about our book is structured to a a little bit around this one health concept which the one health initiative is a world health organization concept of bringing all doctors together so human doctors and animal doctors where we both share research to be able to learn from each other so that animal research is able to be applicable to humans and human research we're able to translate to to other you know to non-human animals and so uh, we we love this concept and we structured the book kind of how dogs got sick, the history behind their their the unraveling of the human well being and dog well being, and then how to reparatively make things better through better lifestyle choices.
1: Absolutely. So I guess well, let's just dive into the part one. How did we get sick? How did this all start?
0: Gosh, man, what a what a what a loaded question. <laughs> I, I think one of the biggest things is you know when it comes when it you know when it Surrounds dogs is dogs basically follow in our shadows. You know, it's what we at home, the things that we do, uh, either inadvertently or, um, or what we think to be the good thing to do for our pets. Those repercussions, whether sometimes good ideas or bad ideas, those poor dogs really don't have a choice, right? And we're looking at sort of today's data. The dog, unlike the human, because they spend most of their time at home right i mean we build this home we structure this home we structure this environment around them but our dogs spend more time at home than actually we do and a lot of pet parents what they don't realize is that these environments have becoming more and more toxic as we speak especially after the pandemic you know in the in the household environment all these different type of cleaners that we're using in using in the house all these type of sanitation projects we're using our poor animals are absorbing these of course and because of this we're seeing repercussions now today, um, where we're, we're seeing diseases escalate, obesity, escalate stress in the household escalate. Um, it's becoming a running problem.
2: Yeah. And I think really because as guardians, we're in charge of making wise decisions for everyone in the home As, as parents, whether we're parenting two legged kids or four legged kids, we make decisions for them. So if we're making excellent, healthy, well thought out wise decisions, our babies, two or four legged will reap those benefits. If by chance we are not making good decisions because we don't have the information or we just weren't informed about it, we we can inadvertently create a lot of lasting damage that not just impacts lifespan, but impacts health span. So dogs are dying younger of more degenerative diseases than ever before. And just like humans in, in the United States, in North America, we're amazing at, at acute medicine. So if you're hit by a bus, Our surgeons are amazing and we do a great job of piecing animals back together, same in veterinary medicine. When it comes to teaching people how to live healthier, longer, with fewer diseases and fewer lifestyle obstacles and and consequences of our choices, we don't necessarily shine as doctors and veterinarians in that realm. And Mm -hmm. so we really wrote this book and that first section in the book really highlights the problem that if people had more information, they would make better choices. But because, as doctors, we don't necessarily we weren't trained on how to counsel people to prevent disease from occurring. Disease is occurring, and people are left heartbroken because they weren't aware that their choices directly impact their dog's overall well-being.
1: Mm, absolutely, I, there's so much there I could talk to you about. Um, but, you know, just like in medicine, right, where we are taught basically how to react to a disease that's already occurring. We never learned or how, where the foundation should be is to, well, we have a healthy human. How do we keep them healthy and then respond accordingly and would need less of it. But one phrase in your book really just caught my eye because I've used this exact kind of similar statement was <laughs> when you were speaking of the lifespan of someone. Or a person or a dog would be happy, healthy, happy, healthy, happy, healthy dead. <laughs> yeah. So it's like literally, yes, live your life and then you die quickly to the end of your lifespan to, you know, your species. I just really, I don't know why that tickled me, but it did. Um, but as far as, you know, can you speak to what are the most chronic diseases that we're seeing our dogs die from mm-hmm. nowadays? And how does that correlate with human health? Or is there a, yeah. is there a similarity? I, I love the dog, by the way, guys. If you can't see it, it was the the pup walking in the L-
0: back? <laughs> little little be back there, and in fact, she she doesn't because <laughs> we have some of the doors closed in here. She doesn't yeah. really like when all the doors are closed, and she's trying to throw verbal like verbal signals as to open these doors for me right now. But you know, to address to That's go funny. back to and to address your question. Um, Especially in the canine world, mm. um, we you know we've talked about this many times. We actually filmed a documentary about this when it comes to cancer. Now, of course, cancer is a giant problem in the human world, of course, uh, but in the pet space and the dog space, according to some PhDs, they believe that dogs actually will succumb to cancer more than humans. So, out of any out of any mammal in the world, excluding lab rats. They believe that dogs will have like the highest rate of cancer. So this is a huge, huge problem that we're seeing today in the dog space. Now, of course, uh, genetics plays a big role. I know that you know the Broad Institute uh, when they did that famous study that's talking about cancer, saying that you know ten- cancer was 10% genetic, 90% environment. In the dog space, it's a little bit different, uh, Dr. Lori, because breeding is a huge issue in the dog space in breeding uh you know breeding for look breeding for design because obviously as pet parents when you're going to that lucky moment where you're either going to adopt a dog or you're going to go to a responsible breeder you judge by appearance right you go online you look you see that dog that dog looks adorable to you right and you're getting the dog on that basis and those breeders are very very familiar they're very aware of what you're doing so they're designing these breeds and there's there's just a lot of A lot of bad breeding a lot of bad breeding principles so one factor would be breeding i'll let you take the next factors
2: well and so certainly genetics plays into this and because we've created so humans have created so many breeds in the last 500 years we've created 400 breeds in 500 years and we've intentionally designed dogs you know hairless dogs blue-eyed dogs short-legged dogs tall we we've designed dogs to fill a function but also to look a certain way. And in doing that we bred mother and son and father and daughter and brother and sister and we have not those things have been traditionally in the human realm either illegal or people know generally, this is a really bad idea
1: right. that hasn't
2: translated into dog breeding. So we have literally gene deletion. So they're just genes missing that creates oh, wow. disease from birth. So if you're missing the disease for, if you're missing the gene for a healthy heart, you can end up having dilated cardiomyopathy or a heart based issue. And so genetic deletions are rampant, unfortunately, with many, many dog breeds. But in addition to the genetic aspects, there are other, I don't know about in medical school, but in veterinary school, they taught us, you know, you're born and then there's there's the average lifespan. And that as you, as a dog goes through life, they're going to, they're going to be healthy initially. And then there's the slow fade until midlife, you can get cancer, diabetes, obesity, allergies, autoimmune disease or organ failure, which are the top reasons dogs get sick and die. And that's to be expected. And then we need to counsel our, our clients as to uh, brace yourself midlife for these things. The average dog will go to the veterinarian you know, two to three, four times a year after that point, if if wow. they're a well-loved baby. Yeah. And out of that, you need to prepare your owners for this unraveling of the body and then finally euthanasia at an average lifespan. And Rodney and I, are aware, as you are, that it doesn't have to be that way, that although, yes, genetics play into overall well-being, 90% of an animal's well-being, vitality, lifespan, and longevity actually relates to the choices we make. The Food, the quality of foods that we're nourishing our bodies with, the amount of exercise we're getting, how toxin free our home is. There are some key variables that are undeniable in science that play into well being or the beginning of degeneration. So we really outlined the book to do it to the best of our ability, to highlight what those big non-negotiables are in science that we have to pay attention to, to decrease the odds of these genetic predispositions expressing themselves. Because we know epigenetically that we all have genes and we can either up or down regulate those genes by our choices. So our goal is to help pet parents make better choices. And out of that, we can down regulate the potential for animals to degenerate midlife. Happy, happy, happy dead is fantastic because that degenerative, process doesn't have to happen
0: Yeah, and you know the the whole thing in, in in sort of a layman package would revolve around awareness there's a lot of things that go on within your environment that you have no idea about as a pet parent one of the most alarming statistics that we constantly talk about would be as just a quick example would be like your yard for instance your lawn for instance how many americans love a beautiful lush green lawn right unknowingly people go outside they spray these fertilizers these chemicals on the lawns and as mentioned, there's been studies that have been done on this where you can actually increase those rates of cancer, like lymphoma, by 70% by allowing your dog to go outside and lay on the lawn after the lawn has been treated. And this is a really big problem because if you yourself are not spraying your lawn, Dr. Laurie, your neighbor potentially could be. And then there's that drag of those fertilizers coming onto your lawn. So to go back, when you, your original question, what is the biggest problem? Cancer is looming very large um, and a lot of it, um, you know, we just talked about genetics, but a lot of it does have to do with the environment. Things in your home, VOCs, scented candles, air fresheners, Uh things that you wouldn't think that were that big of a deal, like your average plug-in. Those things, 30% of your daily intake, like your maximum intake of formaldehyde, animals are, sometimes their beds are positioned right under those air fresheners. People will take Febreze and spray their beds just to get the rink of that stinky smell, if you may, on animals, uh, beddings. And, And these type of chemicals are just wreaking havoc on the immune system of these pets. So we're trying to highlight some of those things that maybe pet parents aren't aware of, that are like, oh my gosh, I thought I was doing something really good. I had no idea I was causing all of this bad. Um, and, and that's our hope, to change some of these perceptions.
1: No, I think that's phenomenal. I mean, things that we don't even think about that we take for granted, like Febreze. I think probably everybody has Febreze. <laughs> and I, um, think,
2: yeah. I think a lot of people use room sprays and I think a lot of people yeah. use products in their home, but what they forget is that pets are naked and they don't shower. Yeah. So, you know, we will, our kids, you know, we'll put socks in our kids. So if we're using like toxic floor cleaners, any, my rule of thumb is if anything on the back of the container says call poison control, or do Mm. not ingest, Mm. it is not a pet-friendly product because by default, because cats and dogs are naked and fuzzy and low to the ground, Mm. they will be ingesting those substances, maybe not by licking directly, but they're gonna lay on the contaminated surface and then they're going to groom themselves. And out of that, the Environmental Working Group has said that dogs and cats harbor the highest levels of environmental contaminants that they have ever seen, significantly higher than kids because they're naked and not taking showers.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The EWG is a great site, by the way, that just for anybody. Um, I love their resources. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, you also had come up with, a, we kind of just touched upon it a little bit A forever dog formula, yeah. um, which I think will kind of help frame us as we move forward through the book in explaining your context and how you want to help, because you not only tell us what's going on, but you're going to help us know what to do starting this moment. They're done reading your book.
2: So the DOG strategy, dogs, obviously, the D stands for diet, the O stands for optimal movement or exercise, the G is genetics, and up or down regulating genetic predispositions, and the S stands for stress in the environment. So if you think about addressing the DOGS strategy or implementing principles that intentionally healthfully modulate the DOG strategy, then in theory, we're doing everything we can to intentionally create a forever dog. Right.
1: Awesome. So let's start with diet. I mean, we we'll could just kind of dive mm-hmm. right in. What is the optimal the diet? <laughs> we have a yeah. lot of conversation about this yeah. in the human realm. I, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> because I, I, yeah, I would just say what, what is the best from your research and from your experience, which is vast and deep, which I love. So tell us what to do.
0: <laughs> so I, I mean what a what a loaded question right? And I mean, just probably take 17 podcasts just I mean, if the human world hasn't had it figured out yet on on, on what is the most optimal diet for the world, I, I can assure you the pet space have not but I mean, look, the basics are there. The most obvious is there. You I can ask my grandmother and her grandmother and it's, it's obvious. Get it get more fresh whole life foods into your body as you can and try to keep away all the processed highly rendered oils, highly rendered foods to this side, keep it as far away as you can as possible. In the dog space, we live in a parallel universe. Um, Maybe like flipped upside down universe uh, when it comes to the, when you try to correlate it to the human space, you know, in your heart, if you have children, when you go to your refrigerator, I say this many times and you reach into your refrigerator and you pull something fresh out of your refrigerator and you give it to your child, you've done something pretty awesome. Or you Mm -hmm. go to the refrigerator and you take a handful of blueberries and you throw them in your mouth, you feel like you've done something pretty awesome to yourself. You've rewarded yourself, if you may. When you sneak into the pantry and you go into a bag of chips, you don't feel so awesome about yourself at the end of the day. In the dog space, you are taught and you are told from when those dogs are very young, at a very young age, that going into your refrigerator and pulling out something whole live and fresh, like a carrot, for instance, could potentially cause digestive upset to your dog, could potentially give your dog diarrhea. It's better to feed your dog the ultra-processed pro- ultra diet that you went and bought, that packaged mm-hmm. bag of product, because it's safer and it's science. Well,
2: and the thing that's so shocking to me is that when you think about all of the professionals in the health and wellness space, mm-hmm. including physicians and veterinarians, mm-hmm. veterinarians are the only group of professionals that recommend and strongly advise feeding ultra-processed fast food, from the time animals are born until the time they die. In fact, many of my colleagues will say, never feed anything to your dog or cat other than pet food, because it could be risky or dangerous, or it could cause GI upset. So for generations, people who love animals have been conditioned really unhealthfully to believe that the best thing they could ever feed a dog or cat is ultra processed, junk food. And it's shocking to me because when people stop and, and think about that, they think, you know, I never realized that the total cereal is a brand of cereal that says on the side of the box that it contains all of the nutrients necessary to, to, for for you for the RDA for a human for the day. That's cool. Would you ever feed your kid total cereal twice a day from the time they wean until death and never feed them anything else? You would never think of that because it's not a wise decision. It's cool for a meal, I guess, if you're into that, but you wouldn't do that for an entire life. That is what we do in veterinary medicine. We say uh. you buy preferably buy the food from the veterinarian and never change it. And it's not only is it backwards, it has conditioned millions of pet parents around the world to actually feed foods that can contribute to early degeneration, lack of microbiome diversity, lack of polyphenols, antioxidants, the enzymes necessary to create vibrant health. All of the things that are really necessary in real whole life foods, we've denied to the animals we love the most. So we're on a mission to collectively retrain not only the veterinary mindset, but pet parents recognizing that you're going to have to expand your dog or cat's diet if you really want to achieve whole health.
1: Wow. And you mentioned, you know, pet microbiome, which is a huge topic now with human health, but I never even, I, honestly, it never crossed my mind to think about, you know, the dog's health. I'll, I'll, however, Daisy, our dog, loves to eat grass there's certain parts of grass and she'll smell something and then she rolls in it she's quite happy and then she jumps up and I'm like I don't know what's going on we just keep going <laughs> yeah. but you know I was like everyone's like it's like this long particular grass that she loves to eat I was like am I missing something in her diet but um but you know those are those are things that I you know you might see or think about like it's odd but you never think about what's going on inside that the dog is maybe looking for I don't know but tell us more about that microbiome because I'm sure that has perked a lot of ears, because I have so many questions about just on the human side.
2: Tim Spector was an amazing interview.
0: Absolutely. So we, you know, we got on a plane and flew all the way to King's college, Tim Spector, I think one of the most cited scientists in the world, according to Reuters magazine, just to have a conversation about the gut microbiome and what's happening in pets. And of course, the same thing that you would see in the human field should pertain to the animal field. Meaning the more diverse your gut biome is, right? Mm-hmm. The healthier one would, a microbiologist would assume you were, and the potentially the longer you can live of the very fa- the famous study, the American gut project and consuming 30 different vegetables a week and so on and so forth. You need a diversity and you need that microbiome in your GI system. Animal research is now getting underway and especially in the, in the canine world, which is so so exciting because it helps us when we're trying to communicate to pet parents about the feeding of processed food,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: cha- the challenge is the marketing. You look at a p- packaged product, right? It's sitting there on the shelf. You've got all of these incredible label claims. You're by the, this is full of blueberries. This is full of like artichokes and asparagus and all these incredible uh, vegetables. Uh, and then the, all these meats are like grass fed and all this fish is wild caught in any type of, marketing claim that's unimaginable is going to be on that bag and you as the consumer when you're buying it you're not you're buying it of course for your dog but the marketers are marketing to you dr Lloyd. you're the one that's reading it you're the one that has to take the package and go back with it now yeah. if we know in the human field that diversity is so important eat taking as much microbiome and putting it into your mouth and into your body right good microbiome in the way of vegetables let's just say as an example the more of those vegetables you eat the more of that good microbiome you put in your body the challenge with pet food is Because microbiome, at the end of the day, at some point when you have those vegetables in your refrigerator, they decompose, right? Something activates within that microbiome to decompose those vegetables. The pet food manufacturer is aware of that. So they have to slow down that process. They have to, you know, they have to retard that process in those packaged foods. So they destroy the microbiome with heat processing and then they add, you know, additives into that bag because how on earth can a bag of vegetables and a bag of meat, when you buy it off the shelf, last on the shelf for two years, with no refrigeration, it's Mm. impossible. So it becomes a challenge as a pet parent to build diversity into your dog's GI system using ultra processed foods.
2: It becomes Mm. nearly impossible because it's dead, sterile, inorganic food. Mm. And so pet food manufacturers have taken to adding in some probiotics. You'll see on the label now with probiotics or now with inulin or prebiotic fiber or added antioxidants. Keep in mind the average bag of kibble or canned food has been high heat processed four times. The raw ingredients have been high heat processed four times. So not only are the amount of advanced glycation end products and for right. your listeners or readers that don't know about that, that's part of the reason that ultra processed diets aren't good for us is that they contain tag alongs from the processing that actually are incredibly destructive to our bodies. So when you think about eating ultra processed food from birth till death, It doesn't matter what type of additives or probiotics that they're sprinkling in at one part per million or two part per million to add it on the label so that you feel better as a pet parent buying it. All of those additives don't count and they don't weigh the balance of the fact that the food has been so high heat processed that the vitamins and minerals, the vitamins especially, are gone so much so that they have to spray synthetic vitamins back on the top of the pet food to meet minimum nutrient requirements. So it's a hot mess of an industry. And as people become more aware and recognizing, I don't know if this is a good idea that I only feed my beloved animals just this one food or rotate between two or three different foods in a lifetime. Uh As pet parents are becoming educated about the fact that they need to incorporate more choices into their animal's diet, this is creating a lot of issues in the pet food industry because as owners become aware, they're making different food choices to the point that the fresh food industry the minimally processed foods are the fastest growing segment of the pet food industry which we find fantastic because that tells us that pet parents are asking for better quality food which of course we love
0: well let me let me just quickly add to that you also run the the danger aspect of it which is what got me started in you know in, in in my career which was you know choosing packaged products and as Dr. Karen Becker said these foods have to be sprayed like so, you know with basically like a synthetic vitamin mineral mix because when you go through all those heating processes you're going to destroy a lot of those micronutrients vitamins are going to become damaged so you have to reapply them in a synthetic powder right. well it doesn't what's so scary about that a pet parent can easily do a google search and you can see like the latest one and I think I believe in 2019 Hill Science Diet those machines that spray those vitamins and minerals well it's machinery and by accident machinery can go off kilter it can falter and you can get an extra blast of something into that vitamin mix or on top of that food as an example Hills in 2019 the machines shot in too much vitamin D now with pets you can reach vitamin D toxicity levels very quickly and it wiped out a whole bunch of pets, reportedly, all over America. There was over 13 million cans Uh, recalled all over the globe because of that type of machinery. The same thing that happened to my cat in 2007 uh, when melamine made its way somehow into the synthetic vitamin mix here up here in Canada. And this one company who formulated for many, many companies accidentally put melamine in all these foods. It was called the giant 2007 pet food recall. It was the most catastrophic recall that we had here in North America, because again, something was tainted in the synthetic vitamin mix and it wiped out a whole bunch of dogs and cats um, all over North America. So you run now the risk, when to go back to the microbiome, when you start tinkering with foods, you're damaging microbiomes, you're damaging uh, these micronutrients and you have to reapply them in a synthetic manner, you do run the potential risk of these toxicities.
2: Well, in addition to just the the synthetic premixes, those of you that probably um, follow your podcast are interested in whole, live, real nutrients. The body acts Mm -hmm. differently. Taking, you know, you can't eat a cheeseburger and take a multivitamin it just doesn't balance out that's in essence what we're doing to our animals the worst part in my opinion about the pet food industry is that it's made from it's they're called feed grade ingredients it's they're not human gr- human quality or human inspected raw materials so pet foods unless it's it specifically labeled as made with human ingredients which means it's about two to three times more expensive than what you are currently buying from your veterinarian or from the best pet food big box store that you can find, or even small independent retailers. The vast majority of those products are animal grade, feed grade, which means it's leftovers from the human industry or products and pieces and parts that have not passed inspection. Mm -hmm. Out of that, we're asking animals to live in a highly toxic world with less than species appropriate foods, and not just dead foods that don't nourish the microbiome, foods that contain high amounts of glyphosate, high amounts of heavy metals. Pet foods are just historically, really plagued with heavy metal issues. Wow. So these blessed little bodies are having a hard time coping with very poor quality foods in a high stress home, oftentimes, lacking exercise, oftentimes we keep in, you know, we have to go to work during the day. So our dogs stay at home alone, sometimes in crates for, for eight to 10 hours, we come home they li- they're living with the stress of the environment and Ronnie has a really great done some great interviews with people talking about how scientists demonstrating that the stress of us animals dogs can smell our stress and not just smell our stress but they react to our stress so animals are checking cortisol because they can tell that we're stressed so animal- dogs and cats have actually i think a really high, high task of trying to cope with all of these variables in a very synthetic world with synthetic food. They have Mm -hmm. their work cut out for them. They really do.
1: Wow. And then they don't really have any say in it.
2: And, and they don't, we don't speak don't fluent dog. Most of Mm -hmm. us and (laughs) dogs don't speak English. So I think if dogs could speak, they would say, I would very much like different foods and I'd like to move my body more. And I'd like to spend Mm -hmm. more time engaged with you where you're not on your phone and you're really focused on me. I think mm-hmm. if if dogs could talk, they would ask for a lot of variables in their environment and their life to be changed. And oh. I think one of the reasons that dogs are so magical is that they they don't ask anything. We have to be sensitive and intuitive enough to be able to see those needs and adapt and adjust to them. But
0: there is a silver lining in all of this just depressing <laughs> opening talk here about this <laughs> product. There is a silver lining and the silver lining is all of these wonderful young scientists, all of these brilliant young veterinarians who are now standing up and asking more questions, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're seeing now science go running to, wait a minute here, it does kind of make sense. If we know to eat whole live fresh foods and we're feeding animals processed foods, What happens if we put some of these whole live foods into this bowl with processed food? What's happening internally? So many cool studies, Dr. Lori, that have been coming out over the last year of just showing what happens when you add 20% of something whole live and fresh into a bowl of processed. Science is now validating that and showing all of the pet parents around the world the magic that's happening. So there is some inspiring stories that have been been coming out of the uh, journals.
1: I have been known to say that I truly believe that the next generation of physicians, including my daughter who's doing her family medicine residency um, is really gonna change the world of health because they're already coming into it with a different attitude and a different understanding of like, we need to start with health first and then build from there. So so tell me, what does this diet look like? So I'm listening here and I'm going, okay, I don't wanna buy the processed food. I wanna make sure my dog is doing the best they can. Where do we even start?
2: Well, you you start first by educating yourself, which is brilliant. Thank you again for having us on the podcast, because we really believe that, that if people know more, then they can make better choices. So as Rodney mentioned, as little as 20% food, even swapping out, actually in the book, we talk about 10% core longevity toppers, that if you just stop buying ultra processed sausages and milk bones and pepperonis, if you just swap out the, the carby, salty, crappy treats for mm. blueberries uh, or any other fresh food. Remember, the only foods that are genuinely toxic to pets are no onions, no grapes, no macadamia nuts, no chocolate. Mm. Everything else is pretty much fair game. Now, you are well aware that you know there are higher carb. Like we're not a big fan of feeding corn to dogs because it's high glycemic. Most of it's been GMO. There's a lot of glyphosate included, mm. but any you open up your fridge, anything that's not in the onion family, Uh, is really fair game that's fresh. You can totally take a little teeny tiny piece and share it with your dog. So just starting somewhere, like, hey, I'm gonna see if, I've never tried giving my dog a bite of cucumber, as you're chopping cucumbers, the tops and bottoms of carrots, the pieces that you would naturally throw out, Try offering it to your dog. It's yeah. kind of fun because you'll see them be like, oh my gosh, what is it? But as they develop their palate and realize, oh my gosh, I've never had this, it's pretty fun mm-hmm. to watch their evolution of experimenting with fresh whole foods because they've, they've never had it before.
0: So one of the big things for us when you know when we started this podcast with you was our fascination with the longest lived dogs in the world. That's right. always been a huge fascination. Um, you know, and so when we started to go visit these pet owners with these extraordinary long-lived dogs, for instance, Brian McLaren from Australia with a 30-year-old Kelpie named Maggie uh, in, that in, uh, it, Pol- I always want to say Poland, but it's not Poland. Is it Hungary with Bushki is, yeah, with uh, Dr. Kubini, who has highlighted a 27-year-old dog who was living on between a farm and in this home, and it would like literally it could venture from the home and it would travel out into the farm, travel out into the mountains. Uh, same thing with Maggie. These dogs had access to giant farms, and had access to a whole bunch of whole live foods, which was really cool. When you start to see all of these like long lived dogs, the correlation was: a, they had a ton of exercise. But pertaining to diet, a lot of these animals, Dr. Laurie, ate from the table. So a lot of them got to eat uh, some fresh whole live foods that were incorporated in their bowls. Some of, you know, and of course the story is about dogs, but even about cats themselves, um, some of the oldest lived cats in the world, like 38 year old cats, again, too, had access to food from the refrigerator. One of the most important things with this is when you're feeding processed food, one of the challenges little dog Shuby, of course one <laughs> one of <laughs> one of the um fully
1: totally appropriate i love it yeah
0: it's only okay. of course you know and, and i love those videos where you're just watching somebody and the dog just totally like interrupts the podcast and like destroys the podcast uh
1: but, yeah uh, yeah it's it's
0: it's like it happens here so much i i, I can't even tell you but uh <laughs> sorry going back going back to the going back to the whole food component one of the big things is these pet foods, you have to look at them as like baby formulas. They're all formulated by board certified, you know, veterinary nutritionists and so on and so forth. So you can't tinker too much with a lot of these formulas. So, you know, in the forever dog book, we'll give you like a range of where you should be. But when you want to make your food better, one of the things that you want to do is you always want to make sure that your diet is balanced. That's very important, right? Processing techniques, Is when you're moving up in levels in different grades, processing processing techniques are very important. You want to touch on that?
2: Well, and so when people first think about this, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I had no idea that the food I was feeding maybe wasn't biologically appropriate. I I just it's what my parents fed, or it's what my vet told me to feed," can be a little overwhelming. So there are you know extruded foods that have been high heat processed at least those ingredients at least four times are the most the least ideal foods to feed to dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. Fresh, whole, organic, free range, nutritionally balanced foods are the best. And then there's the in-between. So you can gently cooked foods, you know, raw is beautiful. Gently cooked still preserves a lot of those nutrients. Freeze dried fresh foods are next best. Dehydrated fresh foods equally as beautiful. And then there's you know gently baked or uh, air dried that are also um, less heat processed with the ingredients having more of the whole food nutrients included that are necessary. So a couple of different things you can do. You can move, you can, as you begin to, you know, move down the scale of processing, you will find brands and proteins that better align with your with your food philosophy. Mm. And that can mean either buying a, a fresh organic human-grade food that's delivered right to your door that is portioned for your dog with the exact number of calories, which is awesome. Some people say, I really enjoy cooking. Well, God bless you. You can follow a Nutritionally Complete recipe and make your dog's food. Or you can go to small independent pet boutiques with passionate people that are willing to um, uh, work with you in terms of weaning your dog off of an ultra-processed food and onto a less-processed food. But we did have, you had that um, heat processing, sorry.
0: Yes, a, a little, so we we're waiting for our book. We've got our galley, but like quick charts, as, as Dr. Karen Becker's explaining, I don't know if you can see it there. Yes. But we created those. these like, yeah, these good to better best. when you're going to start incorporating foods into your diet. I know that's pretty small, but um, inside the book, when you're, when, when you're moving up and down the charts from the least processed all the way down to the process, so starting with tablespoons. But I think the easiest way to, to address your question is if you do have the ability to find a whole food, fresh, live minimally processed, organic, if possible. It it all comes back to money, right? Of course, because when you start looking this way, people can't eat this way. Most people in the world can't eat this way, right? If you had all the money in the world, yes, of course, stay away from factory farming, stay away from um, non-organic, stay away from um, GMO and so on and so forth, and try to buy the food balanced and whole and live uh, as possible, of course, which would be the same thing for a human, I would say.
1: Absolutely, go ahead.
2: But one of the things that we tried to really stress in the book is that because not everyone can afford free range, organic, ethically sourced foods, even for their own fam, their own human family, mm-hmm. just start where you can, because there's yeah. a lot you can do uh, on a very limited budget that can dramatically improve the well-being of, your, of the dogs and cats in your life. There's a mm-hmm. lot you can do on a shoestring budget
1: mm-hmm. to
2: improve health span many even started with exercise just moving your animal's body uh research has shown can take the place of like 10 to 12 supplements that you would otherwise feel the need to be giving moving you know an animal's body does amazing things in terms of endogenous immune system activation so Mm. and most dogs do not get like humans they don't get the exercise that they need on a daily basis
1: So the minimal amount of movement that's prescribed for humans which is i think not even close where we should be, but 30 minutes a day, what would be ideal for most pets or most dogs, would you say?
2: And that that is similar to, to most dogs. Yeah. The goal would, you know, to have the heart rate elevated above normal for a minimum of 20 minutes daily. I also would agree that dogs are wired as athletes. Not only yeah. do, do they need to move their body to maintain muscle tone, most dogs lay around most of the day while their owners are working, but they need to move their bodies for, psychological well-being as well so right now we're having a thunderstorm and rodney's dog is having a little bit of a panic attack because she's very sensitive to barometric pressure Mm -hmm. one of the ways we knew that the storm was coming we knew that she was going to have some anxiety so one of the things we did this morning is rodney ran her for four miles knowing that by moving her body that's going to help decrease her cortisol better prepare her for an emotional stressor this afternoon and also help balance the anxiety and the negative effects that the storm is going to have on her right now by Mm -hmm adequate exercise uh, in the morning one
0: of the most interesting things is, is when you again look at some of these long-lived dogs like maggie who we were talking about the 30-year-old kelpie from australia she was getting unusual amounts of exercise she had a mm. farm it was a dairy farm and she would follow her owner he would get in his tractor from one end of the farm to the other i believe it was like five or ten kilometers this wow. dog was walking sometimes twice a day up to 20 kilometers I know in the u.s you guys use a different metric system but Here miles. in canada yeah. there you go well done right so, <laughs> i'm a runner so that makes okay sense. <laughs> so some of these do- was uh, so maggie was getting almost 20 kilometers of exercise a day lived to be 30 years old um bramble 25 year old dog uh from the united kingdom two hours minimum every day when if you spoke to the mother a lot of doctors will tell you if you the, you know the the game to or the way to win the game to delay aging is to keep insulin low and nothing keeps insulin low like exercise
1: Mm -hmm. oh absolutely and I because I have a lot of diabetic patients and we put them on continuous glucose more so you just see it exercise you know steady and then it just the glucose just comes on down um it's absolutely fabulous but you so we talked about movement and then maybe you've kind of touched upon the stress in the environment Mm -hmm. I know as we're closing in on the hour um what can we do to help understand because i mean honestly people have enough trouble figuring out how to deal with their own stress much less their own pets because we're not even aware of what's going on or can speak to them what do we do
2: well, I'll take the veterinary stressors because <laughs> I'm the veterinarian, and Rodney will take the home psychological, emotional, mental stressors. Uh, for, for veterinary stress, one of the things that we can do is think about the number of pesticides that we are voluntarily applying to our dogs. And what do I mean by that? Most veterinarians will say, "Listen, from, you know, year-round at this point, veterinarians are oftentimes recommending oral or topical flea and tick pesticides monthly, regardless of the dog's risk, regardless of their exposure, and regardless of their environment." And that would be the first thing I would say to reduce uh, to to think about in terms of reducing physiologic stress is think about the pesticides that we are intentionally feeding or applying to our dogs, because we know that sometimes those pesticides are necessary, certainly, but then detox your dog. If you're going to apply a known pesticide to your animal or feed your animal a pesticide, do common sense things then to help their liver and their body metabolically process those toxins. Vaccines. We're all about establishing protective immunity, but just as you don't go in every year for a measles, mumps, rubella, you were vaccinated as a child, you're protected for life. After parvo, distemper, adenovirus, paravolensia, left corona, and rabies as babies, for those core vaccines, distemper, adeno, and parvo, dogs are protected for life. So yeah. going in every year for annual vaccines is unnecessary. We recommend a titer. So a titer is a blood draw that measures antibody levels to just demonstrate that your dog is still protected. Those are common sense easy simple long-term strategies for decreasing physiologic stress Um, and also like if you if your veterinarian has to prescribe an antibiotic the common sense thing would be use a probiotic we know that probiotics veterinarians use a lot of antibiotics and it can take up to 16 months for the microbiome to rebuild itself so using probiotics after antibiotic therapy are some simple easy ways that you can reduce veterinary stress for your dogs and your cats, but when it comes to mental, emotional, there's there's some there's a lot of stress in dogs because there's a lot of stress in humans. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I,
0: one of the one of the big challenges is is us. We're we're the biggest. Sometimes we're the biggest problem, and sadly, we are in a time now where we are the most stressed we've ever been of all time. Right, we're dealing with a pandemic. We're dealing with our jobs. We're dealing with our family members, of course. Most importantly, and and all of these issues in our household. With all of this cortisol that we're chucking on a daily basis, we flew all the way to Italy where we sat with Dr. Biagio Daniello and his team of researchers that were able to show when you are in this energy bubble, you are throwing out so many chemo signals they call these scent signals that basically store your emotions that are released into the air basically what almost almost like what you've done in your entire day a time capsule starts floating into the air your dogs within seconds can smell those chemo signals pick up on the emotions that you're feeling and within seconds become those emotions Mm -hmm. so if you want to watch a dog start throwing cortisol right beside you it's because of your own stress and this is now This has now become a huge problem, especially in the United States. We're seeing bite rates in dogs, the highest that they've ever been of all time during the pandemic, right? Because of all of the stress and all of the issues that are happening in in the household. So we try to tell people sometimes, you know, if you can't shift your energy for you, do it for your dog. And more people will actually start shifting just for their dogs. Mm. I gotta be a better person. I gotta try to have better thoughts. Maybe I should go out and forest bathe. You know maybe i should start doing some yoga maybe i should start taking some meditation if not for me but for my dog because i don't want to stress out my dog you know dr laurie there's actually a we talk about this all the time it's a very sensitive study but there was a study that came out of italy that showed they did a correlation between stress and tumors and they were able to show that households with lots of stress potentially were the catalyst to the growth of tumors on dogs
2: mm-hmm it's fascinating your cortisol cortisol is a powerful hormone as you know and when we were in italy uh dr biaggio at that time was able to determine they put um cotton in the armpits of a hundred humans played scary movies collect like really scary movies that created a panic response in the human took that sweat double blinded it then they put cotton in the armpits and they played happy fun enjoyable oxytocin releasing movies and then they they put those samples. Yeah. And when when dogs were able to sniff fear or joy within less than a second, they were like, oh, yay or Ooh. wow. And so when we asked Dr. Biagio, what's your recommendation? And we live in a stressful world. We can't all be happy, happy, joy all the time. Like, what's your recommendation? He said, "Take a shower the second you get home from a bad day at work." And he was a little joking a little bit, but what he basically said is, we need to really work on caring for our own emotional well-being, our own mental health. People underestimate, you know, we don't feel good, and we think I'm just going to keep it to myself. Don't think for a minute that your dog doesn't know that, and so you us working on getting to a state of being as healthy and happy on the inside as we can be has these amazing downstream effects for the animals around us who are picking up on that tension so exercise yeah. is a great way uh, yeah absolutely. A- exercise you know, a
0: great example though of that stress and, and smelling that is if you had a bad day at work and you come home and your dog just kind of zooms up to you and smells, smells you, you. scans yeah. you from top to bottom one of, one of the uh one of the running jokes with dr Biagio was you know when I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you could be a huge dog lover. You get into somebody's house, you're about to meet their dog and the dog looks at you and the dog's like, I don't think so, right? And people become offended and they're like, my God, I'm a dog lover. Why the heck is your dog reacting like that? Not realizing they had some sort of terrible event that happened earlier on in the day where they chucked out so much cortisol and those chemo signals are all over their clothes and the dog smells that individual and is like, not interested in meeting you. So you know, these are some things that pet parents should be thinking but about. Al-
2: but along the same vein of smelling, dogs can pick up on basically human pheromones, emotional yeah. pheromones we release uh, during the emotional roller coaster of a day. That's also why dogs smell each other's butts, right? They're like, "Hey, how are you doing?" You know, you can dogs smell butts to get information. But smelling is a really important thing. So let's talk about doc- uh, what Dr. Horowitz recommends for decreasing stress. She recommends sniffaris.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, walking around. <laughs> yeah so the snafari of course you know one of the one of the greatest sort of adventures for a dog is allowing your dog to go out hit the sidewalks hit those fire hydrants hit those telephone poles hit those trees it is the most magical time for a dog because they're smelling all of this information that's happening in a day oh and my. you can you can actually see the face of the they're dog so happy. they're so happy and Elbow enjoying and oh, so happy. All they, oh they love it and and some of the challenges can be as a pet parent, sometimes you're not thinking about the snafari, you're thinking about, I got to do a lap around the neighborhood, I got 15 minutes, right, and Buster won't come, and you're just yanking, let's go, I'm, do- I'm doing this walk for you, let's go, and you're you're dragging the dog, dog's like, hey man, I'm just happy being here smelling this telephone pole, this is just as awesome uh, for me, maybe not so much for you, so yes. Safaris oh, no. are so important that when we when we interviewed uh, New York Times best-selling author in cognitive lab um, expert, uh, D- Dr. Dr. Alexandra Horowitz, yeah. such an incredible woman.
2: Such a great way to decrease your dog's
0: stress. Oh, absolutely. And she just said, let your dog smell for yeah. the love of God. I- if anything, just have it at least pick a day or a few days in a week, if you-, if you don't have time to do it a lot, where the dog can go out. The dog can choose where the dog wants to walk. Because you ever have a direction where the dog's like, hey, can we go this way because it smells really cool? And you're like, no, we're gonna go this way. <laughs> let your dog choose for that day and let your dog smell uh, for that day.
1: Uh, Oh my goodness! So there's a cat that lives around the. St- we live in some condos because the kids left home. We downsized and we live in condos, which I love. But we take out Daisy for a walk. She's an English Pointer mix. We're not sure. We got her from the pound. But there is a house where there's three cats, and they kind of come out and they hang out on their porch and they hang out in the lawn. <laughs> it loves dogs, and so Daisy's met them. They're quite friendly. Charlie loves Daisy. And, but it doesn't matter if that cat's there. Or we haven't seen the cat in a week. Lazy will go and slay down on that driveway <laughs> until so Charlie awesome. comes out and I'm like, Charlie's That's not so coming awesome. out, Daisy, yeah. let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yes, yeah. the snafari is very strong in that yard, so, um, and yeah. friends, so. And friends, and animal friends,
2: believe it or not, as is, oh. is, is, is weird as it sounds, you know, dogs are pack animals and yeah. many dogs want to engage with other animals and we, we mm. oftentimes don't let them. So, um, allowing your dogs to have friends is a mm. really, you know, like some dogs can't have, you know, some dogs are not social and some mm. dogs don't do well with others. But if you have a dog that really enjoys interacting mm-hmm. with the neighborhood cat, just oh, yeah. 10 minutes, 10 minutes, letting them <laughs> have social interaction is a really great way to also decrease. Their
0: well, it's, it's what longevity experts told us having a rich social life is one of the mm. key key factors to living a very long time Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing with your dog if your dog has friends that's a rich social life
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i truly believe however that my youngest is gabe is her favorite human because daisy is just beyond tickle they go skateboarding together and running and biking (laughs) keep going it's like it's so fun oh my goodness what a blast You, you guys are just such a wealth of information i could just talk forever um So, and I I know we're coming up on the hour. And so could you please tell us, is there any final advice besides getting this amazing book, The Forever Dog, which is available on October 12th, to launch, um, what else can we do? What else would you um, tell us where we can find you on social media? What else can we be doing?
2: Well, my final, I guess my final tidbit would be from Dr. Sachin Panda uh, at the Salk Institute. He was the man that did this amazing research on circadian rhythm. My take home point, would be that dogs really only we only kind of have kept them captive in our beautiful homes, giving you know, giving them all the love that they need. They've they've really only been inside permanently in the last hundred years. Mm. Dogs really want to spend time outside. And outside is where they're able to ground, they're able to sniff, they're able to determine whether it's nighttime or daytime when we keep dogs stuck inside with our blinds closed all day they have a hard time No, their circadian rhythm gets thrown off and that actually can cause metabolic stress for for the rest of their life so my take home message sounds silly it's open your blinds in the morning let your dog go outside for 10 minutes let him recognize it's morning let him get blue light into the back of his retina let him produce melanopsin which is the wake up feel good hormone let him orient himself to the day by going outside in the morning for exercise, opening up all the blinds in your home and then at night after dinner, taking him out at night maybe to do morning safari and nighttime cardio. But then that nighttime walk as the sun sets allows him to then release melatonin and prepare for the evening. We have to think about what it would be like to be stuck in the house all the time and then reorient our lives as guardians and owners to be able to provide the best environmental enrichment for the animals that are stuck inside most of their lives. That's my take home point.
0: My take home point would be one that just I mean, it fascinated me so much to hear one of the top scientists in the world, Dr. David Sinclair from Harvard University, who we got to sit down and speak with and a farmer, a dairy farmer in Australia who raised the longest lived dog. When I asked them both, what is the one piece of advice you could give to raise the longest lived dog or at least have the opportunity? They both said the same thing. Don't feed your dog as much we have an obesity epidemic right now that's not only in humans but in pets you know debatably they'll tell you that it's almost 60 percent of dogs and cats globally around the world are seeing um, obesity rates right now soar so if we can just restrict those bowls a little bit i know that they the most one of the most famous longevity studies that was done in the dog world restricting 25 percent of calories in a lifetime study dogs were lived almost two years longer by just restricting 25 percent so if we can slow down from the i love you here's a treat i love you here's another treat i love you here's another treat you'll be able to increase the lifespan of your dog potentially
1: and an increased lifespan across species, actually, when you look at um, restricted feedings and some very interesting research there. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. But honestly, that circadian rhythm is important for humans, too. Mm-hmm. So many of us have disrupted sleep patterns because of the screen time. But you're exactly right. You get up early in the morning, in the evening, and it's that it's, you know, the locks. It's so much of that research, even with the human brain. So it's good for the dog. It's good for the human and good for the kids in the home, too. So. That's fantastic. Oh, thank you guys again so much for your time and your expertise and for writing this book. It's so timely and so needed. And we do truly appreciate you and all your efforts. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank, thank you. you. so. Much. Thank you so much for having us and giving us the opportunity to uh, share a little bit from the book. And uh, we're honored to be on your podcast.
1: Well, thank you again. Thanks for watching, and I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go, though, please hit the subscribe button and the alert button so you will be notified whenever we upload any new videos. On Monday, we upload the Healthy Human Revolution podcast. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find it on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. Now, if you're looking for more resources on how to start a plant-based diet, sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, anything regarding wellness, we've got you covered. Check out HealthyHumanRevolution.com. And again, thanks for watching.